Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to Series 1, Episode 3 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Prepare yourself for some depressing chatter as the Rays lose 1-0 to Southampton and we discuss the academy at United. I'm Harry Robinson, joined by regular Jack Tate and guest Tracy Jermaine. This is the Manchester United Weekly Podcast, and you can find us on Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod POD. Today we're joined by Tracy Germain. Thank you for joining us on a slightly depressing evening. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, yeah, it's not a great day to be sort of kicking off a podcast career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can find Tracy on Twitter at Girl on UTD. If you want to know anything about the academy, under 21s, under 18s, any of our many lone players or former youth players now in the lower league of England follow at girl on United. We'll start off with the Southampton game, although it seems that we probably don't want to talk about it. Overall impressions, I mean, it's got to be bad, but overall impressions, Jack? Shambles, really. Um, I was actually ready to come on here tonight and sort of defend Louis van Gaal's style to some extent because I think it is sort of necessary with the state of our defence at the moment. But after today's performance, I just can't. It was an absolute disgrace. And you could see the goal coming from, from the last 20 minutes. The game was opening up and you, you could see the goal coming for, for a while. Yeah, it had a sense of inevitability about it. I mean, last season when we played Southampton, it was kind of similar. And then Southampton nicked a goal sort of in the second half. Tracy, if you could sum it up in one word. Unsurprising. Yeah, so shambles, unsurprising, I'd probably say despicable. That's probably the worst performance of the season, would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think I would. Yeah, um, bit of a miserable t- tone to start on, but first half was appalling again. And they, it's now 11 consecutive first halves in a row at Old Trafford without a goal. I'd be surprised if you didn't know that now, wherever you're listening. I'm sure they mentioned it at least 100 times. In terms of style, Jack, you, you said you were willing to defend it before before that Southampton goal went in. In terms of style, how can you defend it? My thinking was that actually the style at the moment, and I still do believe this to some extent, but today was just awful. But I think it is kind of necessary to some extent because our defence just cannot cope if we play an open style. We saw against Newcastle when we did play a bit more expansively, we played a lot quicker on the counter-attack and we got more bodies forward, that our defence just simply could not cope. And I think that is that is actually very true at the moment. And that if we did, say, go back to what is now my most hated phrase and the old United way, if we act back to that, we would just concede goals left, right and centre. And to be honest with you, I'd rather a nil-nil draw than a 3-2 loss. So I think to some extent it's needed, but today was just shocking. And now I'm, I feel absolutely terrible for trying to defend it to, to any level. 
obviously a shocking performance. Van Hal now has a 50% win rate. Although, obviously, before Ferguson, and even, even Matt Busby was only slightly higher than 50%, but before Ferguson, that's, that's probably quite, quite a good win rate. But it, with the squad we currently have, you'd, you'd think it should be a lot higher. It should be sort of just below where Ferguson was at. Tracy, did any players, although this is going to be a struggle, did any players impress you at all? I think to a certain extent, Cameron Borthwick-Jackson deserves a lot of praise. Um, it's difficult at any stage to sort of be trying to make your way into the first team at United, albeit that it's, it's not a good level we're currently playing at. But just in terms of expectation to play in front of such a big crowd, and sort of particularly when the fans are not happy with the general style of play, the manager, the way the players are playing. So there's a lot of sort of negativity around. And he just he he just puts the effort in. He's making runs down the left flank. He's putting good crosses in, albeit that there's no one on the end of them. You know, it's it's quite positive play and sort of cool and calm and composed from him, given the current circumstances. So he's certainly been a bright spot. And, and as we're struggling for fullbacks at the moment with Matteo Darmian now injured as well, Borthwick-Jackson's going to continue getting the chance. And on the last episode last week, we uh, Jack praised him as a stand-up performer against Liverpool because he came on for Ashley Young and settled down immediately and, and didn't didn't seem to be overawed by the atmosphere. Jack, would you agree that Borthwick-Jackson is probably the only person who we can praise after that shambles, as you described it? Yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree with Tracy. I thought he was a, a definitely a stand-up performer today. Didn't didn't really put a foot, foot wrong through the whole game. He controlled controlled that left flank pretty well. Like I said, made some marauding runs forward, even if not, you know nothing really came of it in the end. Um, I do think he is definitely a, a bright spot in throughout the last sort of month or so of the season. Whenever he's come on, he's he's performed pretty well. And like we said last week against Liverpool, he came on and did a very good job. To settle down to such a big occasion at such a young age so quickly was really, really impressive. I thought the only other person who, this is more in the first half, I thought deserves some credit was Morgan Schneiderlin. I thought in the first half he was pretty good against Parsi and Victor Wanyama, who were, were really getting stuck in in that midfield and were putting a lot of pressure on himself and Fellaini. I thought Morgan Schneider handled it pretty well in the first half, but then was just overran completely in the second. Yeah, aside from a mouse creeping onto the pitch, the, the <laughs> midfield battle uh, between Schneiderlin, Classy and Wanyama was probably the most entertaining bit in the first half. And I, yeah, I, I thought Schneiderlin did well. If at a little times his tackles were a bit rash. On both with Jackson, Smalling praised him earlier this week uh, after the Liverpool game, saying that he's been impressed by how level-headed he has been. And like obviously he's been helped by the fact that the rest of the team isn't playing brilliantly. But I think as we as we have, we have to commend him in terms of improving on the performance. What can we do, Jack? That is the million dollar question, isn't it? I just think we need a complete rethink. I think we need to stop playing with two holding midfielders, which Van Hal seems intent on doing against any opposition and in any situation. Because I think in bigger games, especially away from home, it is needed. We do need two people in front of the defence. At home, against lesser Premier League sides, I just do not think it's necessary at all. Tracy, any suggestions to answer this million-dollar question? Well, just sort of, even today you could see the way that we sort of set up our defence was in response to the way that Southampton might approach the game. And we're sort of, that automatically is sort of, an underdog way to approach things that we're trying to control what they might be able to create and minimise their damage instead of sort of saying, 
look at the, the the players that we have available to us and look at the damage that we could sort of do to their team and their setup and focusing on that. It's sort of very much so a risk mitigation way of setting up the team, which inevitably feeds into the mentality of the players. The amount of times you see them, even from free kicks, looking backwards because going forwards might be too risky, too daring a move. So I think to a certain extent, a lot of it is down to mentality. And while I agree with the point that changing the manager won't necessarily solve all of the problems, if like this is season two and we're sort of over halfway through it, if at this point, you know, there isn't a mentality, we aren't seeing the progress that we should be seeing at this stage, it might be something that will help. It won't fix everything, but you know, something has to something has to change. And even from a mentality point of view, that would be a good place to start. Just start believing in ourselves again. Well, progress there is the, is a really important word. I think you know, for me, I don't I don't necessarily mind if results aren't amazing because let's be honest, we don't have a world class squad. You know, this is definitely not the best Manchester United squad we've seen in our lifetimes, but. For me, I want to see progress. You know, we're meant to be going through this transition phase. And in a transition phase, you're meant to be able to see improvement. There is going to be an initial dip like we saw in Moyes' season at the start of Van Gaal's tenure at Manchester United. But then there was meant to be improvement. There was meant to be sort of a clear path towards us eventually getting back to the summit of the Premier League. And personally, through Van Gaal's reign, I just haven't seen that improvement. There was a slight sort of cheer at one point as one matter replaced Fellaini. What do you think of that sub? Do you think it really had any impact on the game? Um, no, I don't think it changed things dramatically. There was maybe an initial lift of, for sort of five minutes or so when one matter first came on. But just on that point about the fans, I thought actually the fans were actually annoying me today at the game because I thought, you know, I totally understand their frustration. You know, we're all sitting here in horrid mood recording this an hour or so after the game has ended. But there were times today where I just thought that the fans were on the players' backs far more than they needed to be. There was an instance in the first half where it was around the 39th minute, if I remember rightly, um, and it was the first boos and the first cries of attack, attack, attack in the game. And Fellaini won the ball back. He made a tackle. He turned, looked up. There was nothing on the forward, so he played a square ball to blind. Boos. And I, and I just thought, you know what? If there's nothing on going forward, why would you try and force it? And what the fans booing so much does is it, it gets in the players' heads and it makes them force it. So then when Blind gets the ball, he hears the boos and he tries to play a long direct ball forward to try and increase the speed of the play. And by forcing it, all he ended up doing was kicking it back to the goalkeeper and it just doesn't help. And then the cries of attack, attack, attack start. I don't think it really helps that much. And I totally, I totally empathise with the people at the game. But there comes a point where you have to just take a step back and think what is the best of these players. And what they need at the moment is they need the fans on side, not constantly booing them. I, th- I think you've got a point there. I was at the nil all against West Ham back in December, and Guillermo Varela came on as a substitute. And they, although although these players like Fellaini and Blind can probably deal with it better, I think we saw then what effect it can have, because Varela came on, and I think it was the 91st minute and he was on the halfway line, got the ball. And he was so nervous just to get rid of it so that the pressure wouldn't be on him and the booze wouldn't be directed at him. Jesse Lingard, he didn't stand out badly or well for me. Um, Tracy, you've obviously watched him come through. For me, there, there was one moment 
where he he started a counter attack with his pace on the right flank, and there's that desire. But then the ball that he played went straight to the Southampton defence, and I I think that sort of sums him up. The brilliant desire that the United fans have really warmed to, but the distinct lack of quality that may stop him from becoming a United player in future. Yeah, like obviously he was playing a slightly unfamiliar role t- today as a sort of wing back hybrid, whatever Van Hal wants to call it. Um, so it's more emphasis on the defensive duties and it requires that bit more positional discipline that I would have thought at youth levels he would have lacked. Obviously, you love to see when players are coming through from the youth sides, but from my point of view, and it's a controversial one, I haven't really seen over the years, the sort of spark that I'd want to see from a player that is bursting through to the first team from Lingard. I've always had doubts. Now, then he goes on pre-season tours and he's one of the best players and then I'm sort of like, oh, maybe. But I'm not entirely convinced that this is someone who in 10 years' time we're going to be saying, God, it's great Lingard is through and he's still in the first team, etc., etc. I think Van Hal seems to like him. He seems to play him, but I don't know whether his performances per se have necessarily deserved the run in the team. In in terms of the only sort of event for United, Matteo Darmian was taken off with, with a rib injury after a genuinely excellent clearance. And then Shane Long sort of smashed into him, uh, spitting blood in hospital, uh, according to Van Gaal. Uh, that only adds to the issues. So... Early on in the week, Ashley Young has been ruled out for a long time, according to Van Gaal. Severe groin injury that requires an operation. In terms of who we're going to play now, Damian Shaw, Rojo, Valencia, Young, all injured. That's five fullbacks. Many clubs won't have five options at fullback. Tracy, any uh, if we're looking for someone on the bench to to be an option at fullback. Uh, any anyone in the under twenty ones who'd you'd recommend? I think Joe Riley has been playing at left back recently, even though that's his not natural position. Has he been impressing there? He has, but he's quite new to it, even at under twenty one level. So to progress him that quickly to the first team, I I rate Joe Riley very highly, but it might just be a bit much, I'd say, to expect him. That being said, I wasn't expecting Arthur Jackson to be making first team day. Maybe, uh, appearances this season so he could surprise us there is obviously Varela who's who's been in the first team set up Donald Love um is a right back he and he has sort of had a couple of spells at left back as and when required that could be an option for us to explore but the nature of it is at this at under 21 and under 18 level it's very paired back because a lot of players are being involved in the first team squad. So you're going younger and younger and far less experience. And when we're not good defensively and when the team is going through a rough time, it mightn't be the best way to introduce them to first team football in terms of long term development. Yeah, so it's going to be tricky for Van Hal. We'll, we'll be discussing the academy later and its issues. Another youth player, Andres Pereira. Um, who who hasn't been given enough chances this season under Van Gaal. He mentioned a lone move away. He's targeting the Brazil Olympic squad and needs uh, first-team football to show that. Um, Victor Valdez, 
Although this hasn't been confirmed yet, and it could be the same case as Besiktas in the summer, um, he's set to join Standard Liege and bid his farewells on social media to United fans. We'll see if that goes through. The full details of Anthony Martial's transfer has been uh, released by Football Leaks, the uh, football version of WikiLeaks. In terms of Martial, um, we're going to have to pay €10 million Euros on three occasions, possibly, if he gets 25 league goals, which is guaranteed, basically. If he gets 25 France caps, also basically guaranteed. And if he gets a Ballon d'Or nomination, which could be possible, and a- any future transfer over €60 million, Euros, uh, any profit from that, AS Monaco get 50% of that. Um, and in other news, he's the fastest player in the Premier League at 22 miles an hour with Jamie Vardy. And despite all of our failings on the pitch, we are the third richest club in the world. All praise Edward Woodward. Although, at this, um, behind Real Madrid and Barcelona on the Deloitte list, Deloitte's partner Dan Jones says, we must start winning. We're going to maintain that top three place, which we've had for a while. He said, you can be successful off the pitch, even if you aren't successful on it for a time. But I don't think that is a sustainable position if United don't get more things going for them on the pitch, which suggests that the board, which is bleedingly obvious, need to start start focusing on improving the team. As I said, we are going to move on to the academy. Let's do that. We've got uh, what I'd call an academy expert in Tracy Germain. And it's been frustrating times for the academy. The under-21s beat Spurs 4-0 last Monday. Adnan Yanazai scoring two. However, in the FA Youth Cup, United under-18s were beaten 5-1 by Chelsea. It was quite humiliating. I should add that Chelsea are the best side in the country by a country mile. Tracy, did you watch that game? Yes, yes. It, to be perfectly honest, it wasn't really surprising. Chelsea were going in as holders of the Youth Cup and they had a number of players in their squad who had previously won the Cup for them. So they were going in highly experienced, whereas we had a much younger squad. And obviously they had only lost one of all, uh, one match in all competitions this season. They were on, I think, a 14 match unbeaten form side and it really, it really showed. And while a lot of emphasis will be put on the result from last night, which wasn't a great result and, and we were, you know, dominated in sort of every area of the pitch, the more worrying trend at under 18 level will be the 10 straight league defeats that we've had. It's a bad run of form. In between that, we were also at the Mercedes-Benz Youth Cup. We came seventh out of eight teams in the age group. So it's quite a bad run for the under 18s. Now, that shouldn't be read as they don't have talented players. The likes of Marcus Rashford, Callum Gribben, uh, Roshan Williams, uh, Fosu Mensa, you know, are all have all been involved at that level. There are other players as well. But, you know, it is worrying that they're not getting the chance to win games, go on a bit of a run. We're sitting quite low in the under-18s league table. And in part, again, it's because with the more under-21s players that are called up to the first team, the more under-18s players are called up to the under-21s. And we're quite threadbare at times in terms of the squad. The under-18 team are now 11th in, out, out, of, out of 12 teams in the uh, under 18 Premier League North and uh, you're, you're mentioning there the that the the squads because the under 21s are being called up the under 18s and etc etc in fact um someone told me that uh last weekend the the weekend before we recorded this that there's so few players that the bench wasn't filled and 
the the under eighteen game had to be delayed so that the under sixteen game could finish and a player could run over and become a <laughs> become a sub for the under eighteen team. And and as you say, uh, we've lost the last ten league games, lost in the FA Youth Cup as well, and, and it's sort of it, it's it's stopping their careers before they started because they're now under sixteen playing at sort of under twenty one level because they they literally have to and they're they're playing against bigger more talented stronger and more experienced so they know what to do and they and they're being hurt by that and there's obviously a big issue here in terms of the the academy as a whole it's been a year without replacement for Brian McClare who who was the head of the academy although it's trying to be fixed now people are <laughs> we've just had the Tottenham head of youth development John McDermott uh, re- reject an offer from United is there any way to be positive about the academy at the moment, Tracy? We still have good players at youth levels uh, coming through. In terms of from each age level, there's always a few bright spark that sort of you're like, OK, next level, we'll see how they do. And potentially they could end up progressing all the way. The problem is that there doesn't seem to be a plan. For example, as you said, McClare left a year over a year ago and there's still no one to fill that void. Nicky Butt, I think, is fulfilling some parts of McClare's role, but, you know, he he's quite new to it. And to be essentially running what should be the best academy in the world, because we do we do hold ourselves out as having one of, if not the best youth academy in the world, with little experience is probably not the best way to conduct our business. You see that the likes of City and Chelsea, they're putting a lot of investment into their youth teams. They have multiple players. I think Chelsea have over 30 players out on loan this season. You know, so that they, they, they have players aplenty and we're sort of struggling in that area. City have, you know, a stadium that they use all the time, purpose built. And, and it seems that in every area that we're falling behind what would be our rivals in terms of attracting the top talents from across the globe and in England. So something needs to be done, someone needs to come in. As to who that would be, it's difficult to say because unless the emphasis from the club is on reinvigorating the academy and sort of putting a lot of importance behind its re-emergence from downturn at the moment, I can't see a lot of people being willing to take on what would be an absolutely massive project. Yeah, there's been a the, the Times who also reported the the John McDermott story are now saying that United have, uh, are looking at Chris Casper, who is part of the the class of '92, but uh, like like a few others, I think it was Reese Burke and him and a few others, uh, Chris Casper didn't make it and eventually retired due to an injury at 24. And and you mentioned the uh, the the investment from City. I, I visited their training ground the other day, and it, it's spectacular. I mean, it is, it's breathtaking, genuinely. And it's right next to the Etihad. And you look at it and, and there's this, I think it's a it's a pretty large stadium. Do you know how much it is? I think it's a 7,000 seater stadium. But don't quote me on that because <laughs> I can't remember. I I remember being very impressed. But it's, I don't know how much it costs them to build, but they, they, they put in a massive emphasis on developing it. Like, I know that there'll be many people that'll turn around and say, but they're not getting those youth players into the first team. In, in terms of actual investment, like taking away the stadium, I mean, which is, there's groundsmen on it permanently, and it's, it's stunning. It's also used for their women's team. And then the training ground that 
the bits that I saw, uh, I assume the bits, the bits that uh, closed off to the public are even better. The bits that I saw are like pristine, and that they put in twelve million a year to the academy, and we put in three point five million. Mm-hmm. And and there was um an article in the Daily Mail the other day that it says that ordering new equipment for coaches like Paul McGuinness, Warren Joyce, just trying to order new equipment takes three months because everything has to be passed through. Edward Woods and the Glazers and even Chelsea you said you mentioned that they're loaning out about 30 players but they're loaning out 30 players and they still have the strongest youth mm-hmm. teams in the country and that's they're dominating and people might say that they're not bringing these players through but the the, the rewards of the academy don't come within two years City might have built this a year ago it'll probably take another seven years before seven to ten years before these players start coming through into their team yeah, and it's not. I mean, it's not just Manchester City either. I've I've um, visited the Arsenal and Tottenham training grounds, and they're they're just just as spectacular as cities. You know, Spurs especially have just um, built. Uh, I think two or three years ago, a brand new training ground, which was actually built for their first team. But the facilities for the under 18s and under 21s and and even younger age groups are absolutely first class. They are just amazing, and they they seem to want to invest so much of their revenue back into the academy. And as you said, it is not it's not a short term investment. You know, you can't expect the the to for them to reap the rewards of that investment straight away. It will take a few years for the next sort of the next generation of players to come through. I mean, obviously people like Andani Anazai and James Wilson are struggling, but there are there are many people coming through uh into the team for their debuts. I, I think we're we're the joint most with Southampton Academy debutants last year with I think it was at six. But I was told by uh someone the other day that if like if you put an under eighteen player in front of Van Hal, he'd he'd have no idea who it was. And apparently, um, he gets daily reports, but he he doesn't really take any interest in them, and they're, they're almost guaranteed not to be looked at. And the under eighteen and under twenty one formats being constantly changed, which obviously doesn't help in terms of organising fixtures, and games are postponed all the time. But there seems to be a lack of intention to to make a weekly game for for these youngsters who genuinely need it because. While it might be required for match fitness at, at, at first team level, the, these players need to develop. Particularly, that problem is evident at under twenty one level. Um, and for some reason, we play we're further behind in our fixture list than a lot of other teams. There are opportunities to pad out the schedule. There's an under twenty one Premier League Cup, which we have declined to participate in. There's an under twenty one European Cup. And again, we declined to participate in that. And those sorts of games would help get regular football for for the lads at the sort of under-21 level who should be trying to look to make that jump into the first team. But if you're only getting one match a month or sort of, you know, one match every couple of weeks, it's very difficult to build up a consistency in your game that you will then be able to challenge for week-in, week-out regular football at first-team level. In addition, you know, it just, it's very stop start their season. And when you add in players going out on loan, players moving up and down from different levels, you're not even necessarily, you're not playing with the same players every week. So you're not getting regular football, not with the same players. And it's very difficult to build up the development that you sort of need to be able to progress. 
we're sort of cutting off our development by not trying to make sure that there's sufficient football at that level for the players that we're trying to get through. And yeah. Harry, as you were saying as well, in terms of, you know, we may have had a lot of youth players come up from the under-21s and make debuts this season and last season, but it seems out of necessity more than out of one. And I think, you know, you take Southampton, who um, have the, the joint most debutants with us. I just think at Southampton, there seems a much, much more eagerness to actually want those players to succeed at Southampton. And when they are brought into the first team, it's with the view of them actually becoming established first team players. Whereas when it happens at Manchester United, and I understand that the expectation is higher, so I understand it will be harder to break into the first team. But they are only ever brought in just to fill a, just to fill a hole. You know, look at Cameron Borthwick-Jackson. Only brought in when we have a lot of injuries. Same story with Guillermo Varela. Same story last season with Paddy McNair and Tyler Blackett. And when I understand that that is how a lot of younger players maybe get their first break, as soon as then we get players back, it's, okay, by then, you can go back to the under-21s now. Whereas, say in the case with Borthwick Jackson, especially after these good performances, I hope he stays with the first team. I hope, you know, maybe goes down to the under-21s to get a few games here. And I hope he stays with the first team because he deserves that chance and he deserves to keep getting that experience. And because that is the way we're going to get more players from the under-18s through to the under-21s and then into the first team and for them to actually become an established player. Yeah, and in, in fact, um, I was told by someone that Louis van Gaal had to call Warren Joyce and it, it wasn't to ask whether Borthwick Jackson was ready when he needed uh, to call up someone from the youth team. It was to ask who Joyce had ready. He he literally had to ask who who he had that could possibly come up. He wasn't asking whether a specific player he knew was ready. And even David Moyes um, tried to watch games, and, and the FA Youth Cup game. Although I'm sure, I'm sure Van Aal wasn't particularly impressed with it. There, there was a lot of big names there, but that's that's the first time all season. Uh, Van Hall, David Gill, Bobby Charlton, Les Kershaw, um, Brian Giggs, people like that were there, but that doesn't happen often. No, I think it's about the third time since uh, Van Gaal took over that I've seen a match, an academy match. So that's you know, under 18s or under 21s, which quite frankly, like Moyes had problems and he had many issues and I can't say I was happy with him as a manager. But I think for every single match, except for maybe a couple of exceptions, if not Moyes was there, then a member of his first team coaching staff was there. And the problem with Van Hal is, and I know when he came in, he said he wouldn't be focusing on the youth system immediately. And I appreciated that in season one, sort of, the focus was on the first team. The problem is that none of his other coaches seem to be attending the matches. And there doesn't appear to be a good communication line between himself and Warren Joyce. So he's ending up just sort of picking a random name or someone who may be mentioned to him. Or, you know, there's no sort of, this player is playing well at this level, therefore I think they have what it takes to get an opportunity to train and maybe challenge for a first-team spot. It's it's very much so a random selection almost by him because he doesn't he hasn't made the effort to get to know the players, how they play, and whether they could be of use to him, which is something that I, I'm not particularly a fan of for a manager who, in part, was hired on the basis that he gives youth opportunities. Yeah, and, and David Gill was with him yesterday, and it sort of, to me, it seemed it seemed like David Gill was basically forcing him to be there. It seemed like David Gill was saying, "Right, like we have to go to this. Like we have to make a show." And I, now we're trying to emulate Manchester City, Manchester United trying to emulate City. And 
uh, the, somebody I was speaking to the other day who's well knowledge on the academy, as you can say, was saying that there's no point trying to emulate City's training ground and all that when we simply don't have the players or, or other resources to do that. And he, he, this person was saying that coaches are more disheartened than ever because they, they don't get communication from Van Gaal. They, they write these reports for him and they, mm. they just don't get looked at. And even in terms of City's resources away from the actual stadium, they have a purpose-built grammar school so that parents will be more willing to send their kids there. And we've basically lost like the next 10 years of Mancunian and Northwest talent because City are so good at getting parents to come. And there's players like, uh, former United players like Andy Cole, Darren Fletcher, sending their, and Robin Van Persie even, are sending their kids to the City Academy because it's so much better. That is that is a massive problem because if if players who are familiar with United like Fletcher, you know, if he's not prepared to send his son to our academy, but obviously have far more awareness of what's going on than we would from the outside, you know, if he's not prepared to do that, it suggests that there there are massive problems that are sort of well known and, and deliberately avoided in terms of, you know, where they would entrust their own children. In the case of Darren Fletcher as well, because not only did he play for Manchester United for a long time, but he even came through uh, the youth academy. So, I mean, that's even worse, because he obviously went through the experience of of seeing how great the United Academy was in sort of the late 90s, early uh, noughties. And and, but he's also been able to see the decline of it now, and to see someone who was such a loyal servant to Manchester United had the benefit going through our academy system when really it was at, at its peak. It's really a shame now to see that even someone like that believes that and knows that the Manchester City Academy is superior and that I think that's a real, real shame. In terms of players who have come through the academy, they're, they're now going out on loan like uh, James Wilson. Um, today he scored for Brighton or Hove Albion. I think it was against Huddersfield. He came on, eight minutes later scored. Uh, Sam Johnston is... We we think is set to return after Anders Lindegaard, former United keeper now at West Brom, has joined Preston North End, where Johnston is on a one-month loan at. Ashley Fetcher is on loan at Barnsley, came off the bench for them and assisted. In terms of Johnston set to come back, says something about our Europa League campaign. Yeah, I think so, because when he first moved to um, Preston, there was rumours that there was a clause in his contract that meant United could ask him to come back at any point and that if that happened, it would be with the view to playing Johnson in our Europa League campaign. I don't necessarily agree with taking the Europa League so lightly. I know it, I know it can be a bit of a, a nuisance in terms of fixtures, but really playing Thursday and Sunday is no different to playing Wednesday and Saturday, which may happen if we're in the Champions League. Yeah, we're, we're playing Midgetland, or Midgetland as some have fondly yeah. called them, in February before the Arsenal game. And obviously that will have an impact on the Arsenal game. But as you say, I don't, I don't really agree with not taking it seriously. Derby County in the FA Cup. Quite a tough draw, actually. Away at Derby on a Friday night. Quick predictions for that? Tough to be confident, I think. Like you mm-hmm. said, it's, it, was a, it was a tricky draw. It's one of those... Um, those draws that you you can always see an upset coming, especially playing at Derby Stadium. I just think that the way we're playing at the moment, I, I can't be confident going into any game. And in a fixture like that, you know, you know that Derby County are going to be up for it. They're going to be raring to go. I I wouldn't be surprised with a draw and seeing it go into a replay. That brings us to the end. Tracy, thank you very much for coming on as a guest. Insightful. Uh, you can find her on Twitter at girl on UTD, and trust me, it's worth the follow. Thank you for coming on. 
Thanks for having me. You can find Jack on Twitter where? At UTD Tate, T-A-I-E. You can find me on Twitter at HarryRobertson64. And you can find the podcast on Twitter at UTD Weekly P-O-D Pod. We leave you uh, five points off the top four, ten points off the top of the league, and utterly miserable and depressed. Although we are extremely happy because your support has been fantastic so far. We've already reached after three episodes well over the a thousand plays mark thank you for listening to series one episode three of the manchester united weekly podcast and hopefully things will improve in the future goodbye it was a poor game for the fans i can imagine that Network.